Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast today. We have a very special treat in store for you. With me here in the studio is Sister Ann Shields. In fact, I'm holding one of her latest books entitled More of the Holy Spirit, subtitled How to Keep the Fire Burning in Our Hearts. And if you're a parent, particularly if you're a parent, maybe a grandparent, you want to stay with us today because we have an important topic for you, and that's the Holy Spirit, vital for living in the 21st century. Sister Ann Shields is host of the daily radio program, Food for the Journey. She's a well-known speaker, and she is a member of the Servants of God's Love, a charismatic religious community based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Sister Ann, welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you, Steve. I'm very glad to be with you. Well, this is the first time you've been here, and everyone wants to hear a person's story of God working in their life, and we want to hear your story. Well, it's a long one, and I'm going to try to condense it as much as I can. How many hours do I have? Three? (laughs) (laughs) Or 10 minutes? (laughs) Or five? Um, I was a, a typical child. There was nothing unusual in my life. But around the age of 16, I really began to sense Uh, the Lord calling me to religious life. And um, it came in a moment. I went into the chapel at the high school where I was uh, attending, and we were always encouraged to go in and make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament. And I went in, and uh, no words went back and forth between God and me at all. I just went in, genuflected, stayed for a few moments, and came out. But when I walked out, I knew that I was being called to religious life. I had never even considered it. it was not part of my daily view. Uh, there were no Catholic schools in the area where I lived, and my father and mother had decided to send me away to school my last two years of high school so that I could have more of a Catholic education. And that's where it happened, and it happened within the first few weeks of my being there. So it, um, it was, for me, a sovereign act of God. A remarkable gift. Yes. Um, And so I entered religious life in the late 50s, 1957. Um, And uh, life went on pretty normally. You just, you studied, you learned the vows, you lived the life and uh, went through all the formation process and made final vows in 1965. That was the year that Vatican II ended and there was a great deal of turmoil in the church, it really got um, kind of uh, shanghaied uh, by the work of the enemy in some ways because the teaching of Vatican II, as you read it, is superb. Uh, But what got published, not published in the sense of written material, but what got spread abroad was, oh, everything is open, all the doors are open, the windows are open, we can question everything. And society was in an upheaval at that time. To too. say the least. Yes, yeah. <laughs> very, very much. So yeah. there, was a, there was a very tumultuous time. And it, um, basic tenets of the faith began to be questioned. And I think that my own faith 
was immature because it had never been tested. Um, and so I became very disturbed by what I was hearing. Uh, I became very concerned about it and actually led to a period of depression in my own life. I was very young, but really I was totally confused, uh, felt like um, I didn't know where to go or who to turn to or who to talk to. But I, um, I kept persevering. I was getting some help uh, for the depression, and I, I just kept persevering. But I realized, I thought, I don't think I even believe there's a God. That's how bad it was. And yet here I was, a religious, full habit, everything. And I just, uh, I realized that my own faith was shaken and that the roots weren't deep enough. Mm. I had lived in a Catholic culture. I had lived in a good environment, a good Christian environment as well. And so I believed, I accepted, but it had never been tested. And now it was being tested. And didn't, you mentioned in your book, if I remember right, too, the formation at that time had an emphasis and perhaps even an overemphasis on external yes. things. Yes. And, you know, in my view, just for parents listening. Yes. That might have been adequate prior to the 1960s, which has since actually infected the entire world's culture. Yes. But it's not adequate for today. It's just kind of bring us up to where we're, exactly. we're going Exactly. It's not adequate at all. And I, um, one day, I'll just try to summarize this, but one day I was standing at a convent window in February, and it was very bleak, and the external realities, the cold, the snow, the mm -hmm. grayness, was reflecting my own inner condition. I remember leaning up against the window and I, I just cried out to God. I said, God, if you exist, that's, if you exist, please do something. And I turned and walked away from the window and it was as though I walked into a man's chest. That was my experience. And my first thought was, I am really losing it. <laughs> Something very bad is right. happening. Right. And I stepped back. And then I stepped forward again, and the same thing happened. And then I clearly heard these words. And it is nothing but the mercy of God. Don't you know I've been with you all the time? And my response mm. was, no, I didn't. And from that moment on, I believed. From that moment on, I knew there was a God. I knew there was a God who loved me. In that, just that momentary experience, I knew it. At the same time, I was still bombarded with all of these ideas and beliefs, mm -hmm. and there was so much changing internally in religious life as well as externally. And so for the next three years, I just kept going forward saying, God exists. God is going to see me through this. God loves me. And then in 1970, late 1970, a sister in the community, an older sister, had been very ill, but very good to me during this time. And she said to me, they're having a prayer meeting at the seminary in Loretto, Pennsylvania. Would you, would you take me? Well, I was teaching high school. It was uh, a full week. Friday night was not a night I wanted to drive 27 miles up a mountain in December uh, in the north. Right. Uh, so it was bad weather. And I, I, uh, but because she had been so good to me, I couldn't say no. So I said, sure. 
So I took her, and I was not at all impressed. I didn't know what this prayer meeting was, but it sounded like another new thing Mm -hmm. that I just was very, very cautious about. I ended up taking her to three different meetings. And um, I came home one night from one of those meetings, not at all impressed externally, or at at Mm -hmm. least in any way. And I woke up the next morning with one thought. I want to give my life to God in a way I never have before, but I don't know what that means. So I called a friend who was Carmelite sister, cloistered Carmelite sister in that same area, and I asked if I could come and visit her. And you didn't visit cloistered Carmelite sisters in those days, but they said, yes, come. What I didn't know was all of them had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I had no idea. I didn't know what that was. So I came to, the, came to the convent, and she said to me, what is it you most want? And I said, I, wanna, I know God exists. I want to give my life to him in a way I never have before, but I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. And her mm-hmm. response, she and I were the same age, her response was, why don't you just tell God that? Well, I was used to talking to God more through formal prayers, mm-hmm. and they're good. But in this instance, I just needed to talk to God. And I just said, God, I want to give my life to you in a way I never have before. And I don't know what that means. And that was it. That was the extent of the prayer. Next day, I was um, leading play practice for a high school play, which Mm -hmm. fully occupies you. I came home from that, walked into our convent chapel, and I said, Lord, if you heard my prayer yesterday, please do something. Again, please do something. And I walked out of that chapel, Steve, and walked up a flight of stairs. I was on my way to correct papers and right on a step that if I could go back to that convent, I can show you where that step is. Uh, At that step, it was like someone poured over me a pitcher of water from the tip of my head to the soles of my feet, but it was expressed in joy. It was just like a cleansing, and this joy just flooded through me. And in my cynical self, I said, well, this won't last. And I have to say that in all the years, the 40-some years since then, it has never gone. It ebbs and flows, circumstances, Mm -hmm. difficult times, sad things. But there is the river of life. It really is, and it flows through us. It comes from baptism, and God was giving me an experience of the reality of that, that uh, what we believe, what we teach is real. It's not just some academic um, exercise to get this information into your head. God was being merciful to me. He didn't have to do that, but he allowed me to experience his joy. It was his joy in loving us, his joy in being loved by us. And it was the work of the Holy Spirit in us to bring us to the Father and to the Son. I, I cannot tell you what that's been like for the rest of my life. That doesn't mean life is easy. That doesn't mean that I'm floating on some cloud. Sure. But I have absolute confidence that the joy inside me is the joy of the Holy Spirit as he, as he works through me, as he conforms me more and more to Christ. I want it. 
I desire it. I seek it because that's where all the peace is and all the joy is, really. Life circumstances go up and down a lot. And that's why I've spent so many years trying to help people to see that what we're learning are the truths, the prayers we learn, learning about the sacraments. All of that is very important, but it can just be an academic exercise. It can just be cerebral. Now, God's grace can do anything in the midst of all the academics. Of course. But for me, having confronted a very, very difficult circumstance in my life, I realized in a certain level how shallow my faith was. And God came to my aid, as he will come to everybody in different ways. But he came to my aid. He helped me. He sustained me. And all these years since, uh, I, I just know that he is with me that I really am a temple of the Holy Spirit, as Paul tells us, that we all are. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us praising the Father, praising the Son, drawing us into deeper and deeper union with him. We're, we're in the midst of the most tremendous love story there could ever be each of us with God. And that's one of the things that in all the years of teaching, in all the years of giving talks and conferences, that's what I'm trying to convey is God wants a personal relationship with you. This is not just cerebral. And you've been given tremendous gifts in baptism, in confirmation, in the Eucharist. You've been given tremendous gifts. But it's like God wants to break it open, but he will not force you. He gives you the gifts. But it, it, it in a certain way, it... it it requires, that isn't exactly the word, but it requires us saying, Lord, I want what you have. I want to open the gifts you've given me. I want to use them for your glory and for my own salvation and the salvation of those I love. I want those gifts activated in me. And I've seen it, Steve. I've seen in our, our parish in people prepare, young mm-hmm. men and women preparing for confirmation, when, as I say, G.K. Chesterton actually said it, the longest journey a man or a woman takes is the 17 inches from the head to the heart. And it's when that is effected, the head and the heart, what you know, what you've learned, what the truth is, connects with your heart, and your heart says, yes, this is what I want. And that takes the action of God. I remember one young man, he was being confirmed, and he asked me to be his sponsor. And uh, I said, yes, so we went out to get something to eat. That's the best mm-hmm. way to do it. And we were out getting something to eat. And I said to him, Joe, what, why do you want to be confirmed? And I got the best answer I could have gotten. He said, I want to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. He knew He had learned from his family. He knew that this wasn't just a cerebral academic exercise, that there was a life in the Holy Spirit that God gave us through baptism and confirmation. The gifts are given, but he gives us free will. He will not force us. And so we, in a certain sense, have to say, Lord, I want all these gifts that you've given me to be activated. This young man knew that. And he, when he was confirmed, I mean, it was like the fire descended. My. On him. And it wasn't, it wasn't all kinds of external things. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that at all. But the fire that burned <clears throat> in his heart that's there today 
many years later was enkindled by the grace of the sacraments. But so many people think, especially the sacrament of confirmation, it's your graduation exercise out of the church. Now I've got all the sacraments, and now I don't have to come anymore. Well, this, it's ridiculous. Well, but, th- this is, to me, a, a, a real major, major area of concern in the sense that talking about depression, Yes, uh, I know priests and catechists and confirmation class teachers and youth workers who are truly depressed when they encounter young people who have had their first communion, first confession, been in Catholic education, perhaps in Catholic schools. They come to confirmation and it's like it's gone in reverse very fast. So for that youth worker, priest, confirmation class worker, whatever, how do we get from the average confirmation class, which is truly depressing for a lot of people, firsthand yes. experience with it, to coming to that kind of new dimension that you're talking about is having the seeds, but where do, how, how do you get these young people alive? And, and parents, just my PS in today's world, this is critical. This is for survival in the modern world because we need a lot inside for what we're facing outside. So yes. I'm all ears. Well, (laughs) um, the first thing I think that I would say is to all confirmation teachers or teachers of any of the sacraments, uh, don't look on this as an academic exercise. Okay. Look on this. It does involve academics. I'm not saying that. But it's not just an academic exercise. You are preparing them to open their hearts to receive Christ into their lives real. It's real. Christ gave us free will. He will not violate our free will. We need to want him, to invite him, and that leads to conforming our lives. um, To To the one we love. To the one we love. And anybody who loves wants to do that. You want to be pleasing to the one who loves you. And so we, I, I think for teachers, we have to say first, is this active in my own life? Am I living? Of course. Is the sacraments, are the sacraments really, am I experiencing the grace? And I'm not talking about a lot of emotional feeling, but a sure, certain, firm conviction that God is who he says he is. And I want him to be the Lord of my life. And I want the Holy Spirit to lead me. That needs to be in the heart of everybody who's teaching these young people because what the young people need to see is somebody vibrant, somebody alive, not just giving them facts, memorize these, do this. Yeah, a parrot can learn facts. Uh, It doesn't make them a disciple of Christ. What, What young people need to see is somebody who's dynamically alive. And you can't you can't put that on. That that has to come because it's when it comes from within, when the sacraments are activated in your life. And that's what you say to God. I want what you gave me to come alive in my life, whatever it costs me, whatever it means. I want you more than anything else in my life. When that begins to be your modus operandi, so to speak, in your daily life, you're praying daily, really praying daily reading the Word of God daily. You could listen to my radio program, but reading, pondering the Word, chewing the Word, um, 
allowing the word to shape your life. That's one of the fruit of the sacraments is opening our eyes to the true wisdom, giving us a hunger and thirst for God and for the things of God. And when God begins to do that in your life, you can't shut up. (laughs) You have to give it. And Mm -hmm. when you give it to these young people, uh, you, you enkindle in them a fire. So it has to happen in you first. The second thing is every teacher of the sacraments has to be praying daily for their students. Daily. And I don't mean a quick Lord's Prayer or a quick Hail Mary. I mean sustained prayer, praying the rosary every day, uh, spending time in the Word, asking that God would form that Word in them, uh, participating in the sacraments yourself as often as you can during the week, not out of a duty that I check off while I did this, but, Lord, I come before you with these young people, and they're bombarded by everything in the world. I want them to love you and to know you and to desire to serve you. When you have that kind of intercession going on for them, and you yourself are alive. And if you feel, well, I've been teaching for years and I'm not, I'm not alive, step back for a year. Give God time to work in your life because God wants to. That's And He the, will. And He will. Mm-hmm. And the <clears throat> when I see the sacraments come alive in people's lives, when I see the gifts of wisdom and understanding and counsel and fortitude and knowledge and piety and fear of the Lord, the Isaiah gifts. As I say in my book, what those gifts are is enabling us to become like him. They're not, wisdom is not having academic information. It's having the mind and the heart of Christ. Now, Sister Ann, I have a heretical idea. Yes. But I have an inkling that you might actually agree with my crazy idea. But I doubt that classrooms are the best place for sacramental preparation, particularly confirmation, because you're saying it's not basically conveying information. We want to convey Christ. I mean, obviously that involves information. Uh, I've even floated the idea of parishes having a meeting house, uh, the house where you meet God, kind of maybe a a deluxe log cabin kind of structure with a fireplace, and it's relational. I mean, Jesus probably got more discipleship done on a fishing boat than, as far as I know, he never took his disciples into a classroom. Yes. And I wonder if the classroom model is it kind of, because I found even working with young people, the setting sometimes can either work with or against what you're trying to do. Yes, this is true. I never thought of that specifically, but I see exactly what you mean, because often when we're in a classroom setting, it's they fall into the mode of academic information. And that's a piece of it. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the truth... Sure, God gave us a mind to be filled with... So that mind (laughs) needs to be filled. But it also needs to go, as I said earlier, from the head to the heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is for me. This is what God did for me. This is what God is offering me. I want it. That's where we need to bring them. And I agree. Our our parish does... um, Uh, confirmation retreats uh, for the young people. So they do have class, but they also have other times where they can be with and encounter, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lord, a lot of time for prayer together, 
Um, my parish does happen to be um, a charismatic parish mm -hmm. established in the diocese where I live. And uh, so anybody who comes there knows that it's going to be a little different than uh, Sunday mornings mm -hmm. elsewhere. But at the same time, we still we, we're dealing with the same human material and how what a need there is. I, I agree with you to put okay. it in a different context where they can see that this is something different. Secondly, they need examples. They need people giving testimony. This is what happened to my life. This is how I changed. This is what God did for me. Um, they need examples of that from the time they're nine and ten. They need examples of mm -hmm. witnesses, people being able to say, this is how God touched my life. This is how he pulled me out of this sin. This is how he changed me. And to be able to say, this happened 20 years ago, and it's as alive today as it was then, then kids will start to pay attention. Right, right. And I, uh, so, yes, in answer to your question. We just have a couple of minutes left, but... Um there's always people listening says, well, this is Sister Anne, and she's yeah. special. She was a religious or this or this. Um, just open the doors so any Catholic listening can know that uh, this promise of the Father, of the Holy Spirit, is for them. God sent his son. It's the timeless message. God sent his son out of love for you. You, as an individual, Pope, Pope Benedict said, uh, he, and he said it so well, he said that God didn't come for the millions. He came for you. Mm. He comes mm. for each single one of us. And he relates to us as though we were the only person. He knows our deep needs. He knows our pain. He knows our cries. He knows our hopes. He knows everything. And it's, it's such... Uh, when, when we say to the Lord, I, I want you to have my life, he will respond to you. And the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, his whole role, it, it, I'm going to try to say this fast, Steve, but the Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He's not a bird. Mm -hmm. He is the love between the Father and the Son, and that love is in you by baptism. That love is in you by confirmation, and the Holy Spirit is seeking to return you to the Father. He's seeking to bring you into union with the Father by the grace that the Son won for you upon the cross. It's real, brothers and sisters. It's real. It's not just an idea. God has it for every person who turns to him. Take these words to heart. This is Steve Wood with Faith and Family. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.